Welcome to the First Prez Podcast, which features the message from this past Sunday's worship. Our services are Sunday mornings at 8.30, 9, 10, and 11 o'clock. You can learn more about First Prez at firstprezcos.org. Well, hey, good morning, church. Good to see you here giving this hour to the Lord. It makes a big difference when we give an hour to the Lord. He makes that space sacred. He meets us in it. He, he brings us hope. Brings us a new song. So I'm glad to see you here. And uh, if you missed a couple of those, just I want to highlight one thing. On December 23rd, did you see that? This is a new worship service we're doing on December 23rd. We're going to pack this room out and have a praise and worship service and communion. It's going to be an awesome night. And there's, I think there's like some snacks after or something, and right? Like, like hors d'oeuvres and... and uh, like bacon wrapped dates, filet mignon. Um, I mean, it's gonna caviar. It's gonna be to the hill, and and uh, you can hold me to that. No, but so come on out for that. Make sure that's on your your calendar. That's a new thing for us, and we're really excited about it. It'll be the same message that I preach. And then next weekend, I also want you to know we we put on a little concert the church does called Christmas Joy. Ever been to that? Oh yeah. A little concert. Uh, this is a blowout thing. Happens at Pikes Peak Center. And if you haven't gotten tickets yet, there's only like 200 left. So grab some tickets. Uh, here's the thing. It's kind of a, it's a gift to the city. And what we do is we provide this incredible Christmas show kind of a thing. But all along the way, we're, the gospel story is getting out. We're talking a little bit about where our hope is built on. Produces great conversations. It's a great blessing to the city. So use that. And today we're going, continuing on My Hope is Built, and we're looking at the story of John the Baptist. And so I want to encourage you to open your Bibles or turn them on to have the Word of God in front of you as, as we read and teach together. Uh, and we're looking at Matthew 3, verses 1 to 12. And as we open the Scriptures, let's open our hearts in prayer. Lord, it would be the easiest thing to open up your Holy Word and read it as a dead letter on the page. That's not what we need. That's not what we've come for. So we pray, Lord, that you have mercy on each of us. Open our hearts, open our minds by the power of your Spirit that we can hear your voice speaking to us of grace and of truth and of hope in Jesus' name. The church said, Amen. Amen. At verse 1, In those days John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. John's clothes were made of camel's hair and he had leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. People went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce food and fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not think you can say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees. And every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance. But after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. 
His winnowing fork is in His hand. And He will clear His threshing floor, gathering His wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Amen. Hope draws near. Something is coming. A change is coming. Remember that uh, in the summertime when you can smell the rain coming and you know it's on the way? Something's on the way. Jesus is coming. We've gotten into a new series, our Christmas series, My Hope is Built. And Jennifer did a great job of introducing us to that next last week. And our staff and our, our volunteers have worked tirelessly uh, to change our entire environment to get us into Christmas and to get us all looking at this stone manger, a stone feeding trough, uh, like you would see in, in Jerusalem, in Israel, where it all began, where the infant Jesus was laid. And we're asking ourselves, where is my hope built? Where have I, where have I built my hope? Is there, have I built my hope on something kind of shaky or flimsy? Have I built my hope on something that, that might not hold it? Have I hung my hope on hooks that I'm not sure are going to be strong enough to hold? Where is my hope built? My hope is built in this infant. Not in the manger, not in the holiday, you know, uh, hopes. My hope is built on Jesus, you know, because our, our hearts can run in all kinds of different directions with our hopes, just kind of like that uh, opening little video thing. We can have hopes and all these little superficial kinds of things, a Christmassy, uh, elfy kind of stuff, right? Like, uh, I hope uh, uh, that I get good, good gifts, good presents. Don't you want to get good presents, kids? Yes, still awake. Yeah, and you like you hope for fun stuff. You hope that the, the, the meals are good. You hope that the time is good. Uh, you hope that you can watch Elf six times, eight times, ten times, a hundred times between now and Christmas. How many can you watch? You know, how many times? We've already got one under my belt in our, in our household. I'm sure there's six or eight more Elfs to come. And we hope Buddy will save Christmas. We do. But you know, it gets deeper than that really quick, doesn't it? Because we, we've got hopes. We hope that we can afford the experience we want to have. We hope that we don't disappoint. We hope, uh, we hope that our family can hang together well and enjoy one another. We hope that those broken relationships can maybe... Maybe you just hope you can hold it together. Hold it together. And you wonder, well, who's got the strength, you know? Who's got the strength to, to save Christmas? Do I have it within me to make this happen, to make Christmas for others? Do I have enough? Where's your hope built? Our hope has got to be built on something solid, something strong. What's underneath your hope? Jesus is coming. Hope draws near. Now, what is Hope. If you're defining hope, hope, a definition of hope is, hope is optimistic confidence in the future. Optimistic confidence in the future. Like that belief that good things are still going to come. That's what hope is. And we have got to have hope. We need hope. You know, leaders need hope. The best leaders that you read about, there are these leaders who have this unfair, 
unflinching optimism in the face of great challenges, even, even though they, you know, they're not sure if they're going to be able to make it through. Like, we can do it. We can take down that aircraft carrier. No problem. We've got two sticks and a coconut. What else do we need? We can do it. You know, leaders have got to have that hope. And we don't want to be around the hopeless, pessimistic, cynical person around the holidays, right? I mean, Eeyore is no fun to be around, especially at Christmas. So the people around us need us to have hope. Our friends need us to have hope. Our family needs us to have hope. Church community needs, needs you to have hope. So where do you get it when it's running dry? Where do you find it when it's running thin? Our hope. Friends, we're placing our hope in Jesus. If we're going to build hope, if we're going to build an optimistic confidence in the future, we're going to build that on Jesus Christ and Him alone. There's an old hymn, My hope is built on nothing less, some of you know it, than than Jesus' blood and righteousness. And we'll get to that. It's nothing less than Jesus. No other than Jesus. Nothing else than Jesus. Our hope has got to be built in Jesus, on Jesus. He's the solid one. So we look at this manger, you know, and we look at this solid stone. That's a, a, a first century Palestinian manger feeding trough. And that's probably the kind of thing that Jesus was laid in when he was an infant. But our hope isn't in a manger. It isn't in holiday magic. It isn't in who's going to save Christmas. Our hope. our hope is in the infant. Because that infant Jesus is God. Come to earth to intervene. Jesus is God intervening to make a new future. And if my future is filled with Jesus' plans and Jesus' victories and Jesus' promises, if that fills my future, well, you know what? There's very little room in there for my projected anxieties. My hope is built in Jesus. Hope draws near. Can you smell the rain? Well, I don't know if this passage read like a really hopey passage for you. <laughs> hey, Pastor Tim, read me one of those hopeful passages of Scripture. All righty. You brood of vipers. <laughs> Thanks, Pastor Tim. Maybe next time send the other guy. You know? I don't know if it feels very hopey to you. But actually it is, it is. Because John the Baptist, what does he do? He comes and he starts to say, there's a new path available, there's a change available, something's happening. The kingdom of God is drawing near in all its power. And there's a change that's available that you didn't think was there before. There's a door that's opening that you thought would always be shut. God is up to something, a turning is possible. Hope is drawing near. In fact, Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming, and that's our hope. Verse 1, in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. He says, hey, change your life, change your priorities, shift your set, you know. You can turn now because there's something else available. Change is possible. And he embodied and enacted and, and visibly represented that change with, with what? With baptism. Saying, come on, let's wash in the river together. And this water, it's a moment of change. It's a moment of hope. 
something else is possible. Who was John the Baptist? Well, apart from being a, a relative of Jesus on, on Mary's side, John the Baptist was, by all accounts, a fairly unique guy. Wouldn't you say? We get a, uh, we get a description of him. Verse 4. John's clothes were made of what? Camel's hair. Camel's hair jacket. Pretty nice. Isn't that what you have? How many people get out the camel's hair jacket for, uh, for Christmas, right? Hey, pretty nice, you know? But, but John, he didn't go just with the camel's hair. He went with the shirt, the pants, the, the socks, the underpants, everything, you know? It was all, it was camel's hair through and through. I mean, that was, and then what? And then he had a, a leather belt. They wore leather, well, who else? I mean, of course, sure, you're going to go with the leather belt, right? Everybody goes with the leather belt. His food was what? What did he eat? Yeah, locusts. That's cutting edge. <laughs> you know, that's food sourcing right there. I mean, w- w- where are you getting your protein? Mammals? Have you heard about the new uh, insect-based protein powder? Have you tried it yet? <laughs> I mean, that's cutting edge, man. And what does he eat? Wild honey, raw, unpasteurized honey. That's a superfood. Are you kidding me? Here's what I'm telling you. John the Baptist was a trendsetter. He was, he was an influencer. I mean, he was cutting edge, and everybody just wanted to be more like him. And that's why they were running out. Is that? No, not really. <laughs> not real. But I think it's funny how much of that you can play. <laughs> but there he is. What's this telling us? It's telling us he's a prophet. He's wearing camel's hair. He's wearing a, a leather belt. He's eating bugs and honey. And, and here's what he is. John the Baptist is a guy who, as a prophet, he has exited himself out of the mainstream of society so he can take a different perspective. And as a prophet, take God's perspective and speak back. Speak back and say some things, some hard things, some things that need to be said. And so John the Baptist, he's this, this prophet in the wilderness, willing to say the hard things, willing to give people the truth. And people, they wanted to hear something true, even if it hurt a little bit, and that's why the people came. But more than that, he was offering hope that change is is possible, that there's a new direction available. In fact, there's someone coming with such power that he can change everything, everything, everything. Look, I don't know how your life has been this year. I don't know where you are coming into Christmas. But there's a point in every person's life where you are so at the end of your rope, where you are so locked up in, in where you are and, 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 and who you are that you feel like if someone would just come, if someone came to offer hope that God was going to change things, if there was someone with a message that there might be something different, that, that there might be something that opens up that there might be a window that brings some light into this? If someone is willing to say to you, your tomorrow might be different from your yesterday because God is up to work, there's a point in all of our lives where we need that hope. And so they came. They came out in, in droves to see a wild man in the wild places shouting at the people, Repent! Right? Repent. Isn't that a beautiful word for Christmas? On the count of three, I want you to say repent with me. Ready? One, two, three. Oh, yeah. 
Some of you have been waiting to say that word for a long, long time. You, and I saw you trying to turn your head to the person next to you. It's a good thing you didn't. Don't do that, right? Don't do that. Repent, repent. Yeah, I've gone a journey on that. I've gone on a journey with that word repent. Doesn't it just make your heart clench up a little bit? Repent. I was in the second year of my first call as a, as a lead pastor, and I got a very strange phone call. And um, it wasn't somebody that I knew. It wasn't a member of the church. It was a kind of phone call that I could easily dismiss, go on with my day. In fact, my secretary even said, uh, Pastor Tim, there's somebody on the phone, but it's, it's a weird person. You probably don't want to talk to this person. They're pretty strange. And uh, so I can let them go. And, and I don't know. Um, I had some margin. I had, I think the spirit prompted me a little bit. And I thought, I could use some more weird. So I, <laughs> I said, go ahead. I picked up the phone and said, what's going on? And this guy said to me, he said, I want to ask you a question. What's the gospel? When you preach the gospel to your church, what do you say? I thought, great. I mean, this is awesome. I know the answer to that. So I said, well, the gospel, yeah, the gospel. The gospel is God made us, he loves us. But we've broken our relationship with God because of our disobedience. But God loves us so much, he doesn't leave us there. He sent his son. He sent his son to take our sins, the penalty for our sins, on himself. And when Jesus died on the cross, we could be forgiven of everything that we've done or everything that we've thought of doing wrong. And we could have grace and mercy and forgiveness and new life and eternal life in Christ. That's the gospel. And he said, is that it? And I was like, yeah, that's it. And then he got to his point. He said, what about repent? What about repentance? He said, I'm, I'm calling pastors in my area. I want to know if there are pastors in my area that preach repentance. Do you preach repentance when you preach the gospel? It's kind of on my heels. I said, well, we preach grace. God's mercy leads to repentance. It's somewhere down the line, you know. And we went on back and forth like that and talked a little bit. I put down the phone, I stared out my window, and it was like a bell went off. John said, repent. Jesus said, repent. I've got to preach, repent. Now, how do I do that? See, because as I said, I've been down on a journey with that road, and that entire journey is right here in this passage. In fact, whether this passage reads to you as hopeful or not hopeful depends, hinges on your very understanding of that word repent. And the first time I heard that word, this is what I thought it meant. I thought repent meant be sorry for what you did. You've done something wrong. And you should feel very, very bad. Someone is disappointed in you. You're disappointed in yourself. And in fact, that someone who's disappointed in you, that might be God. And so you need to sit there and feel very, very bad. That's pretty close to what you kind of hear John saying sometimes. If you look at verse 2, you could read it that way. Verse 2, he says, And John the Baptist came preaching, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. It's like the kingdom of heaven has come near. The kingdom is coming, and the king is coming. And by the way, he's not all that thrilled with your behavior. You feel bad. feel bad. Well, that was where I first stopped on my journey on the word repent. 
And then someone taught me what the word really means. Because the Greek word repent is the word metanoia, and it doesn't mean feel bad. What it means is, it means change your mind and turn your course. It means turn around, cross over to the other side, and and join that team and face a different direction. Stop going where you were going and turn around and go in God's way. Repent. Turn your mind. Well, that felt better to me, you know? Because you know what? Feeling bad was only getting me so far. (laughs) I was good at it. I don't want to, don't get me wrong. Like when it came to feeling bad, I was one of the best. As a people pleaser personality, like if I thought somebody was disappointed in me or if I was disappointed in myself or I thought God was disappointed in me, oh, I could feel bad. I was killing it at feeling bad. Are you with me? Anybody there? If that's where you are, you need to take another step. So I thought, oh, turn. Well, that's something to try. And it's a little like what John the Baptist was saying in verse 7. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing, he said to them, you brood of vipers. That's a sermon series next, next year. And who, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Then he said this, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. What's he saying? He's saying don't just talk change, be change, make change. Don't just talk about a different life, live a different life. And, and walk that way, turn around. Okay, right. But then it started to feel pretty hard to turn. Sometimes I could. I could turn it. Sometimes I couldn't. Sometimes I wanted to turn. Sometimes I didn't. And it got hard to turn around. Kind of like these people walking uh, against the wind. Hey, what's wrong, buddy? You know? <laughs> what's, what's the problem? You know where you're supposed to go. Just go. You know? What's, what's the deal? And it started to feel a little bit hard to turn around. So I shifted again. See, I went from repent means feel bad to repent means turn yourself around to a third position, a third meaning, a meaning deeper still, a meaning older and truer. And a meaning that had been right there in the scriptures in front of me all along. Repent, Tim, means throw yourself on the mercy seat of Christ. Turn your mind, cross over, but you've got to get out of your head. Your hope is not built on your ability to be adequately sorrowful or sufficiently regretful or manifestly resolved to get your life together and turned in the right direction. Your hope is not built on your ability to pull it all together or your grit or your resolve or your intent or your strength of will. Your hope, if you have hope at all, your hope is built on your help. And you need to turn and face the mercy seat of Christ and throw yourself at His mercy and know forgiveness. Your hope is in your help, your Savior Jesus. And so I got to the third point, that repent. What is repent then? What does that mean? Well, repent, my role in repentance is to take responsibility. To take responsibility. I think if there's something that we're missing in our common character, it's the ability to take responsibility responsibility. 
and say, yeah, that's mine. It's my mess. It's my mistake. It's my error. It's the thing that I did. And I can't blame anybody else. It sits right here on me to take responsibility and throw yourself on the mercy seat of Christ. See, because we take, we throw responsibility, we, we want to throw responsibility anywhere and everywhere as long as it doesn't land back on me, right? And so the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they were trying to get out of that. They were trying to, to find an excuse. And you saw how John the Baptist shut them down in verse 9. He said, don't say that. Don't say, you know, it doesn't matter because I'm a child of Abraham and it's, you know, it's not my fault. It's, it's, uh, it's these other things. Blame the system, you see. It's a system did it to me, you know. It's, and it's, and it's, a, it's a darn media. It's a darn, it's a darn, you know, the darn media, you know. And it's just, I was just doing everything, what everything else was. And it was those darn kids and the darn schools and, the, you know, it just wasn't me. It wasn't me. It wasn't me. Stop it. Own it. You, you have made mistakes. Put them before the mercy seat of Christ. It's only there that the turning becomes possible. Because watch watch this now. John the Baptist, um, he kept going. He said, I baptize you with water for repentance. So I'm just giving you a little moment, you see. I'm just giving you a little moment of turning, a little moment of hope, a little bit of a... But, he said, after me comes one who is more powerful than I. Powerful. You're going to need power to turn against the wind. He's so powerful. With sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And with fire. What is John saying? He's saying, look, this isn't hopeless, folks. If if this were not a hope passage, John the Baptist would have stopped at you brood of vipers. That's a good closer, you see? And it just all would have been over from there. So our conversation's done. But he keeps going. He keeps building. He says, Look, there's a hope for change. There's a power that's coming. There's a kingdom of heaven drawn near. There's a way of life opening up. And in fact, there's a person who has stepped down from heaven. And he's so powerful. And he's going to baptize you. He's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit comes into your life, that changes you from the inside out. He's going to baptize you with fire. You know, fire, it doesn't touch anything without changing it. Changing it. He's going to change your life. That's who Jesus is. He's the one who baptizes in a way that changes your life from the inside out and touches everything that you are. And he doesn't stop. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. My hope is built That means it's not on passing worldly things. My hope is not in what I can do, not in what I'm going to experience this month, not in what I can do to hold it together, my strength or the strength of anyone else to save Christmas. My hope, my hope, my hope is in my help. My hope is in Jesus. My hope is in what he has done. Because this Jesus, this God come to earth and when he took on flesh and he took on blood, he resided with us became one with us. Jesus, he lived, 
he loved in the blood, in the flesh, and, and in that flesh and blood, he carried my sins and yours, my disobedience and yours, and he carried it to the cross, and when he died, it was paid for. Debt paid. And forgiveness is yours and mine. For Christ has set the axe to the root of all of our sinfulness. He has taken the death of our disobedient trajectory and he has set the axe to my my path of self-destruction. He's put an end to it. And in his rising again, he has opened up new life born in every believer. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus. My hope is in my help. And so it's this Jesus who transforms our lives from the inside out, who instituted a table, a table, where we come and and as he said, we feed on him in faith. I want to invite the servers to to, uh, prepare and, and to go and gather the elements and come up here before us as we draw near to this table. Jesus said, feed on me. This table is the Lord's table. And you can't work your way to this table. You can't buy a spot at this table. You can't prove merit to come and sit at this table. But here's what you can do. You can own it. You can show Jesus your heart, the things that have gone great, the things that have gone poorly. Say, Lord, that's mine. And I humbly repent and I throw myself at your mercy seat. Forgive my sins. If you come humbly, then at this table is a seat for you as a believer in Jesus Christ that he bought and purchased for you by giving of his own body and blood. As we come to the table, I remind you that uh, we believe that uh, as parents, it's your responsibility to raise your kids in the Lord into mature Christian discipleship. And if your child is ready to receive the elements with understanding, bring them forward. If you would prefer to have your child prayed for and blessed, uh, Jennifer's going to be in the corner over here. She'd be happy to pray for you. Gluten-free, would you guys raise your hand? They are gluten-free through and through, head to toe. And so is the bread that's in their basket. Friends, this is the table of the Lord who came down from heaven to press into darkness and to dismiss it by his light, to press into evil and to end it by his death and to press into hopelessness and bring an optimistic confidence in the future victories of Jesus by his resurrection and his spirit at work in you and I. This is the table of the Lord. Sorry, I'm doing the next part too. (laughs) Would you join me in prayer? The Lord be with you. And also with you. Lift up your hearts. Lift them up to the Lord. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It's right to give him thanks and praise. Almighty God, it is right. If there's anything right, if we can do anything right, it's right to give you thanks and praise for who you are 
You, Lord, made us. You created us in this world. You gave us life. You gave us love. And you never gave up on us, even when we turned away from you into the shadows of our own disobedience and ran on a trajectory of self-destructive behavior. You chased after us in love. And you sent your word. And you sent your prophets. And you sent your apostles. And in the fullness of time, you came in your own Son, Jesus Christ, to live with us and to love and to teach and to carry our sins and our disobedience in his flesh and blood up to the cross and to pay our debt once and for all. Rising from the dead, you opened up new life in the name of Jesus, that all who call on his name, that all who humbly throw themselves at the mercy seat of Christ, that all who own where they are and open up their heart to show you, Lord, even the disobedient parts, even the hurting parts, even the broken parts, even the mistakes, that all who throw themselves at your feet, humbly seeking mercy, may know not only forgiveness, but eternal life. So, Lord, come and meet us at this table. We thank you for it. In the name of Jesus Christ, who teaches his church in all parts and all times, to pray with one voice, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and glory. Thanks for listening to the First Prez podcast. If you would like more information, you may visit our website at firstprezcos.org.